0: Daily news and analysis. We keep you informed and
1: inspired.
2: This is World Today.
1: Israel's leaders has formed an emergency war cabinet and vowed to continue the military operation on the Gaza Strip. Beijing has expressed welcome to the European Union foreign policy chief's China trip, saying this visit is conductive to the healthy and stable development of China-EU relations. And China's auto market has achieved better-than-expected growth in the first three quarters of this year, with car production and sales hitting record highs in September. Your listening to Road Today, a news program with a different perspective. I'm Ge Anna in Beijing. To listen to this episode again or to catch up on previous episodes, you can download our podcast by searching Road Today. Israel has formed an emergency unity government with a war cabinet after opposition leader Benny Gantz joined Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's coalition government. Netanyahu has vowed to code smash and destroy Hamas. John Gambrell has more on this
2: stepped out on stage with former Defense Minister Benny Gantz. This is a big moment for Netanyahu, who a couple days earlier had asked for an emergency coalition government to be formed. That would give him sort of increased political backing to move forward with what appears to be a coming ground offensive in the Gaza Strip. Gantz was part of an opposition political party, and this also helps Netanyahu, who has faced criticism both at home and abroad for his efforts to change the country's judiciary, which protesters and others said could change and radically affect what they see as Israel's democracy. Now, in the last couple of days, we've also seen increased support from the West in part of this. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken boarded an aircraft, he's here to Israel, and also we've seen British Foreign Secretary James Cleverly here. He actually had to run to a bomb shelter at one point as air raid sirens went off. Meanwhile, as this ground offensive is coming, there's an increased concern for civilians trapped in Gaza. You have to keep in mind that Gaza abuts the Mediterranean Sea, the Egyptian border, which remains closed, and that. Israeli border, which is surrounded by that big border wall. Now, Israel is not allowing anyone in or out of the Gaza Strip at this moment. That's led activists to worry about civilians being potentially trapped in the middle between Israeli soldiers fighting Hamas militants if this ground offensive goes forward.
1: That was John Gambrill reporting from Jerusalem. So for more on the new developments, I earlier spoke with Dr. Wang Jing, Middle East expert with Northwest University in Xi'an, China. Professor Wang, Israeli leaders formed an emergency war cabinet to present a united front and vow to continue the military option on the Gaza Strip until, quote, Hamas is smashed and destroyed. What do you make of the new development? What impact do you anticipate it will have on the current tensions in the region?
3: Uh,
0: Of course, the very security uh, cabinet that formed uh, right now uh, means that uh, Israel, on the one hand, will continue its operation. Uh, against the Hamas as well as against the other milit- uh, milit- militant groups inside Gaza uh, very harshly. And uh, that suggests uh, in the future, I think in the next uh, coming days, we will witness the large wave of the humani- humanitarian crisis because the, the, the Gaza Strip is a very narrow strip, about only uh, 360 uh, kilograms and uh, a square kilogram, square kilogram. And also on the other hand, uh, there were about uh, 20, uh, two million to three million people. So this is one of the the most popular, the popularist, dentist, uh, the the area in this world. So with the Israel's attack uh, from the air, from the land, and uh, more and more casualties, especially civilian casualties, will emerge. And on the other hand, the security cabinet, uh, I think it uh, suggested a very possible political uh, consideration from Netanyahu, the the prime minister, because he. Enrolled the, the, the leader uh, Benny Gantz uh, of the, the leader of the, the Blue and White Party, and as well uh, as uh, the the the, uh, the the general staff of the IDF, the Israel Defense Forces. Uh, I think he hoped to show the very uh, assertive stance and, and match against uh, uh, Hamas, as well to set up the kind kind of the a very uh, missed security match among the Israeli public. So in the future, again. Israel launched very harsh attacks and also it will lead to much, very much waves of the of humanitarian crisis in Strip.
1: Professor, in addition to Israel's stepping-up military strikes, the United States has promised military support for Israel. The first batch of American weapons as well as an aircraft carrier strike group have arrived in Israel and nearby waters. Russian President Vladimir Putin criticized the United States for this action, saying it's escalating the situation. How do you view the criticism? What potential consequences might this action have on the regional stability?
0: I think United States, as you are right, that uh, it, it it is adding the oil on the fire because uh, it is right now the the the, the, the crisis is continue, continue conflict is continue. What should be done is to cease fire, especially for the third party, they should do to uh, call for the ceasefire, call for the calm of the related conflicting parties, and also uh, provide humanitarian assistance to both Israelis and the Palestinians in the Gaza Strip. Uh, because now the Gaza Strip, the, the people are suffering uh, with the Israeli attacks. So I think the United States is doing right now is to provide more weapons and more armed goods to 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 Israel to uh, equip the, its military forces and as well to provide assistance to military uh, strikes against the Gaza in the future. So I think it's actually, as we mentioned, is adding oil to the to the very burning fire, and um, that will lead to much more crisis, especially the humanitarian crisis in the future in the, in the Gaza Strip.
1: Earlier, the Russian president also said that the ongoing Palestine-Israel conflict is a clear example of the failure of U.S.-Middle East policy, He said the U.S. side promoted its own ideas about how this should be done, put pressure on both sides, first on one side, then on the other, every time without taking into account the fundamental interests of the Palestinian people. Professor, what's your analysis of such a stance? How do you interpret the influence and consequences of U.S. Middle East policy in the context of the ongoing conflict?
0: Yeah. Yes, I think it is true that uh, actually this round of the new wave of the conflict, uh, just as similar to what happened uh, that uh, the, the maybe the past uh, decade, suggests a very failure of United States uh, Middle Eastern policy as well as United States policies to Israeli and Palestinian crisis, uh, because actually during the past decade, I think the United States readjusted adjusted its uh, foreign policy in the Middle East, especially on the one hand. Uh, the United States hope to uh, to bridge the gap between Israel and other Arab states, and hope to bring the normalization process to this region between Israelis and uh, uh, its regional uh, Arab states. For example, facilitates the normalization process, uh, the, the establishment of diplomatic relations between Israel and uh, uh, and Bahrain and the UAE and the Morocco and Sudan and uh, hopes to push it forward to facilitate the establishment of diplomatic relations between Saudi Arabia and Israel. But on the other hand, actually, just as uh, the, uh, Putin uh, stressed that the uh, United States actually ignored, uh, or intentionally uh, we ignored the importance of the Israel and Palestinian issue, and hope to forget, let the world forget, the importance of the, uh, the, the aspiration of the independent states of Palestinian people. So that is why I think we are, the whole world is shocked by the sudden strikes of the, uh, the, 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 the militia from Gaza Strip against Israel. The suggests that this world should not forget this issue and should continue to focus on that. That also suggests the United States' uh, failure of the last decade of foreign policies in this region.
1: Mm-hmm. And the ongoing tensions unfold, and the new deployments of the U.S. military and Secretary of State Antony Blinken's visit to the region. Do you foresee a shift in the current strategic layout of the United States in the region? How might this new conflict influence the U.S. alliances, military presence, and overall approach toward the Middle East? I think it,
0: it, it forced the United States, on the one hand, to stand to choose a side in in, in this conflicting. Uh, in this ongoing conflict, because the United States, traditionally, they hope to maintain, uh, pretend to maintain uh, neutral, to stand in the middle between Israel Israeli and the Arab states in the during the past decade, and hope to bring the two sides together with the so-called Abraham Accord, uh, hope to, to, to bring the gap between Israel and the, and the Arab people. Uh, but now we, we have witnessed, and after, after the war erupted, the United States, uh, very immediately uh, stand uh, stood with the Israelis and condemn all the Palestinians as so-called terrorists. This is a very terrible description, uh, in my personal opinion. And also, the United States chose not to call for peace, uh, even if they, they they got this capability to influence the decision makings of the Israeli uh, government, but they didn't do it. They just uh, send more troops, and send the fleet, and send more uh, military equipment and uh, supplies to Israelis to give them the power to, uh, to escalate this conflict. So I, I think this suggests that the United States uh, might uh, encounter a new failure, uh, a new round of failure, especially a new round of disappointment and dissatisfaction from the Arab states in the future. And also, it will affect the United States' whole Middle East strategy. That is. Uh, the gap between Israelis and the, the the Arab states will be widened further. so and I think that will lead to the total failure of United States Middle Eastern strategies.
1: Professor, some experts argue that the recent conflict demonstrates the weakening of the United States and the errors in its Middle East policy, but certain American media outlets perceive this conflict as an inevitable outcome of a multipolar world. How do you perceive this explanation? Is conflict is an inevitable outcome of a multipolar world?
0: I think it is suggested that the much more Maybe we can call it a multipolar world, but I think we can also uh, uh, describe it as a very uh, strengthening a trend of the independence, regional independence, aspiration of the regional countries. Because actually, the uh, the states in this region in the Middle East, they hope to have their own independent policies, and they hope to get their own independent perspective without the United States direction, without United States affection. So um, right now, that uh, yes, the war erupted. United States choose to stand with the war, choose to stand with the escalation crisis, uh, rather than the the choices made by the Arab states that uh, this, that the for peace, that for calm, that for the pacifying tension. So I think the further gap will emerge between the United States and the Arab states, and also it suggests the, the 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 distancing. Between the two sides will be widened. And also, it will lead to further independence aspiration of the regional countries, their own policies, their own perspectives, and their own vision against the United States.
1: Professor, about the regional factors, considering the involvement of groups like Hezbollah, how do regional dynamics, especially involving uh, neighboring countries, impact the conflict's escalation in the near future? What risks do these dynamics pose uh, for the broader Middle East?
0: Uh, I think, that, yes, uh, you are right, that the exchange of fire between Hezbollah in the southern Lebanon and the Israeli forces in their northern border uh, will f- actually uh, suggest a very possible escalation, further escalation of the uh, ongoing conflict between Israel and the Gaza militia. Uh, yes, this is quite likely that with the further escalation with maybe much more uh, civilian casualties in the Gaza Strip, it actually will provoke the anger. Of the other uh, Arab states, especially their public, and also it will provoke anger, provoke the anger of the militia groups in the other regions in the other parts of this region, and also it will further lead to uh, uh, maybe possible uh, armed uh, strike, uh, armed strikes of these uh, the the armed groups, especially like the the Hezbollah uh, again their their in, intent to launch strikes against Israeli targets, so. Uh, you are right, they have these kinds of possibilities. And further, I think in the very uh, uh, longer term, and I think it will change the trends of the normalization process between Israel and other Arab states, because it actually suggests that uh, the Palestinian uh, problem is still the very deeply rooted problem in this region, and now it it is this problem is still far from uh, satisfied, satisfied uh, settlement. Mm-hmm. So uh, the, the, the regional countries, they will standing in different camps over this issue. Israel, of course, get the support of the West, while the local Arab states will support Palestinians. So this trend between Israelis and uh, the local Arab people for, the, uh, for the, the the direction of the normalization ties, I think will be suspended. This will become a very, very major influence, I think, in this region.
1: That was Dr. Wang Jing, Middle East expert with Northwest University in Xi'an, China. More to come. Beijing has expressed welcome to European Union Foreign Policy Chief's China trip, saying his visit is conductive to the healthy and stable development of China-EU relations. Stay with us.
4: Hello, my name is Alessandro Golombievsky Teixeira. I'm a professor of Public Policy and Management at Tsinghua University in Beijing. I am a great listener of The World Today. In my opinion, The World Today is one of the best China radio programs. In The World Today, we can get the best news and analysis in what is happening now in the world. So please come to join us.
1: Welcome back to Row Today. Beijing has expressed welcome to European Union Foreign Policy Chief Joseph Borrell's China trip, saying his visit is conductive to the healthy and stable development of China-EU relations. Borrell's three-day visit from Thursday to Saturday is expected to cover cooperation prospects as well as ongoing de-risking that could result in trouble to bilateral ties. Since the beginning of the year, Chinese and EU leaders have had frequent exchanges, dialogues and cooperation have been carried out across the board at various levels. So to talk more on the trip and china u relations, let's have Dr. Cui Hongjian, professor with the Academy of Regional and Global Governance at Beijing Foreign Studies University. Thanks for joining us, Professor Cui. Hi given the recent developments in China EU relations what do you make of Borrell's visit to China this time especially in the context of the 20th anniversary of the comprehensive strategic partnership between the two
5: as you know the uh, relations between China and the EU is as important as possible because not only both sides are uh, you know two major markets in the world and also two major power to help especially the a peaceful solution for any kind of a conflict. So this visited uh, by Mr. Borrell, the top of diplomacy of the uh, European Union. At this moment, uh, certainly, it will give some more uh, clear signal uh, to the outside that uh, both China and the EU try to uh, stabilize its relations and also try to develop it. Even also in the recent years, the European Union side is trying to uh, you know, change its policy towards China. Just like some, uh, you know, senior officials from the European Union mentioned that uh, the relationship with China will not be as usual. But as we know, uh, even at this uh, uh, background, uh, still, I think there are a lot of uh, mutual uh, demands from both two sides, and also there are so many common challenges Based uh, to both two sides, so I think it's a very good opportunity mm-hmm. for this uh, visit by Mr. Borio. Not only he will uh, have this uh, uh, high-level strategic dialogue with his uh, Chinese counterpart, and also uh, this uh, visit will do something for preparing the uh, uh, upcoming, uh, you know, China-EU leaders meeting.
1: But Professor, the EU has initiated a probe into any subsidy measures against Chinese electric cars. How do you think the Chinese government plans to address this issue during the upcoming talks with the EU representatives? What impact could this investigation have on bilateral trade relations?
5: I think that's the uh, uh, reason why these uh, relations between China and the EU is not as e- euro. Uh, as the uh, European Union side mentioned, uh, we can find in recent years uh, there will be some more, perhaps, frictions uh, between two sides on trade investment and some other economic uh, you know, uh, issues. I, I think that, uh, for this uh, uh, investigation uh, launched by European Union side, uh, certainly, uh, I think China and the European Union are trying to uh, find out a more rational solution for this kind of equations. Uh, especially as we know, uh, not only both China and the EU they have these uh, three, uh, co- uh, namely uh, three pillar uh, dialogues, uh, including the strategic dialogue and also high level economic dialogue. So, uh, on the previous dialogue on economic issue, those sides exchange the you know, views uh, at the first time. So I think at this moment, Borea's visit uh, will provide another opportunity for China and the EU to exchange uh, the, uh, you know, uh, concerns and to uh, find out a way to push forward this issue. Certainly, I think there will be some, perhaps, uh, primary uh, 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 results during the leaders' meeting uh, between the end of this year.
1: We know Germany, as a key member of the EU, has openly opposed the possibility of imposing punitive tariffs on Chinese electric vehicles. How might these differing viewpoints within the EU impact the overall negotiation process between China and the EU?
5: This situation shows that uh, this uh, application is not only uh, the, the, the problem between China and the EU. And also, firstly, it's a problem within the European Union. Also, you know, because of uh, very different uh, interests uh, from uh, different member states, uh, there are lot of uh, divergences within European uh, Union, uh, different member states. The Germany uh, had a lot of uh, cooperation with China on this uh, uh, electronic cost industry. So once there are some maybe... Uh, you know, uh, punishment or some uh, investigation against uh, the, the Chinese uh, electronic cars. It will also damage the interests of Germany. But of course I think at the same time uh, it will also give some uh, maybe a positive uh, space for this uh, solution. I think once uh, there will be some more balanced solution from a European Union side, uh, especially considering Of the you know the different interests from member states, I think it will give some more hopes for this uh, we call the soft landing of this uh, difficult issue between two
1: sides. But Professor, the EU's anti-subsidy investigation is not limited to electric vehicles, but extends to wind turbine components and solar panels. How does China perceive these investigations, and how should China defend the interest of its renewable energy industries amid these trade disputes?
5: I think firstly, Chinese side oppose this uh, course from European Union side to have some more investigation against the, the Chinese industry, especially on the green industry. Also, you know both, both China and the EU they have a common goal to promote the uh, green economy including the electronic car and also uh, when the electronics are, some other. So I think on this regard uh, it, it should be a very good opportunity for both China and the EU to have some more cooperation, not a confrontation. So I think, uh, secondly, China will try its best to stop any kind of uh, tendency, especially from the European Union side, to have some more protectionism uh, attitude towards this, uh, uh, I mean, the the new industry. As we know, once China and the European Union could have some, uh, some more cooperation, not confrontation on green industry, there will be some, I mean, the more markets and the more benefits for both two sides. And also it's good for this efforts from uh, international community to develop this uh, uh, any kind of uh, economy, uh, green economy and uh, to deal with the issue of uh, climate change.
1: Then what are specific areas of cooperation and mutual interest are expected to be the focus of the discussions during this high-level strategic dialogue between the two sides, given that both sides have expressed willingness for a continued dialogue?
5: As we know, this uh, dialogue between uh, Mr. Borrell and his uh, Chinese counterpart uh, should focus on some not only uh, the bilateral relations, bilateral issues, and also some regional and global issues because it's uh, named as the uh, strategic dialogue. So I think now not only uh, I mean China and the EU should discuss something more about so-called de-risking strategy from the European Union towards mm-hmm. China. And also, as we know uh, on all of these uh, issues, including uh, Ukrainian crisis, and even recently, I mean the uh, Palestine and the Israel conflict would be on the uh, table of the dialogue. But of course, I think the important thing for this dialogue is uh, both sides should have the, the, the common goal to have some uh, you know common ground on everything, and especially, to try to help the bilateral relations go back to a normal track as soon as possible.
1: Mm-hmm. Thanks, Professor. That's Dr. Hong Hongjian, Professor with Academy of Regional and Global Governance at Beijing Foreign Studies University. More to come. China's auto market has achieved better than expected growth in the first three quarters of this year. This is World Today. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to Road Today with me, Anna in Beijing. As a place where China's Belt and Road Initiative was first proposed a decade ago, Central Asia has played a crucial role in regional trade and investment cooperation. What have been some of the major achievements of the BRI in the region? How have the potential of landlocked Central Asian countries been released through the BRI? To delve into this, my colleague Xu Qingduo earlier talked with Zhou Mart, Otto Bayev, former Prime Minister of the Kyrgyz Republic.
4: I will start with the uh, BRI, this is a topic of the day. You know, it has been 10 years, the 10th anniversary. So how do you say about its past 10 years, the track records?
6: Uh, uh, first of all, uh, Belt and Road Initiative became global. Uh, more than 150 countries subscribe to this initiative. More than security international organization is part of it, so it's really uh, take enormous attention from outside world, and we are in Central Asia. Uh, indeed, ten years ago, we were the place where President Xi Jinping made announcement of this initiative, and uh, I can uh, talk for a very long time about what has been accomplished during that time, in especially in energy cooperation, in communications, in digitalization, in many aspects. But I want to underline only one important aspect, is that currently Central Asia became, transferred itself from landlocked to land connected area. Uh, when 10 years ago uh, traffic between China and Europe start to develop Uh, many experts and analysts uh, were thinking about that beginning as a joke not anymore Uh, last year uh, a lot of traffic started to move between Europe and uh, and China and 16,000 trains passed in both directions during this time, which means every hour two trains moved in both directions. And the time of delivery also shortens significantly. Now, in, in 11 days, the train could pass between Chongqing and Duisburg quickly. And this time will be shortened even further when the new segment will be built between China through Kyrgyzstan and Uzbekistan, further through the Caspian to Europe for another 900 kilometers. So decision has been made between our countries, and very soon it will be a feasibility study ready and discussion on how and who will do the whole project. So we have a lot of potential, but I also want to underline the recent summit of our president's five presidents of Central Asian countries and China in Xi'an, where a very ambitious program has been established how to improve
4: our relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, sounds uh, you know, ambitious and promising for this region and for China for their cooperation. You once said that you know infrastructure alone seems not to be enough. You also mentioned about people-to-people exchange. You proposed the competition of infrastructure and also people-to-people exchange.
6: Why such a proposal? Uh, Because uh, you have to create friendship. The trust has to be built between not only political circles, but between simple people. So public in both areas, in China and in Central Asia, should believe that this cooperation will bring real fruits. Because as Confucius used to say, is a lack of trust. All talks are meaningless, and we have to face reality. For the last hundred years, uh, we were disengaged in terms of trade, investment. Only last thirty years, mm. some movement started. It's not enough, so we need to put more attention to show to people in both countries who we are, what are our intentions, why we want to make trade why we want, for example, to borrow resources uh, and, and, and really to make friendship. So friendship cannot be done by the order. It should be done by meeting each other, seeing each other. And we observed this situation during COVID times, when we were disengaged and now we finally meeting each other. It is very different uh, uh, feeling when you see, when you meet, when you going as a tourist, as an expert, as a student, when you start to know more languages, more culture, more differences, more friendship. Yeah, as you you said, and this
4: is a great point, you know, the whole purpose of this infrastructure construction and the BRI is to get people connected, to get countries connected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about a connectivity, yes. like Asian Silk Road. You know, connectivity yes. ultimately it serves the interests for the people. Yes. Um, speak of that, we do. You earlier mentioned about you know, Central Asian nations and China. You know earlier the meeting, the meeting in Xi'an. Uh, one important achievement is really visa free policies you know for for countries uh, for people in this region for some countries for some countries yeah. not all of them not uh, all you know of no. there's a yeah, potential step we need to step do more step. It's
6: yeah. first example when Kazakhstan and China decided to uh, get rid of the visa regime and it will be first case and then uh, others will follow
4: yeah i mean when other countries see the fruit of um, Free traveling freely across the borders, probably they will follow suit.
6: Absolutely, yes.
4: Yeah, because there are interests uh, there. And your book uh, published earlier this year, uh, by the title of Central Asia's Economic Rebirth in the Shadow of the New Game. uh, You mentioned about the 30 years independence and achievements of those nations. You also talked about the BRI. Uh, So, has Central Asia, you know, how has Central Asian nations grown? over the past 30 years since
6: uh, 30 plus years since their independence uh, y- yes so the, the disintegration of our former country soviet union was an enormous shock for everybody uh, uh, suddenly we became five independent nations so uh, trade became difficult uh, we have to transfer our economic system from uh, let's say so called command system to the market economic system yep. To build sovereign institutions, it was very difficult and painful painful times. Mm -hmm. But uh, we uh, came out of this difficult period relatively well. First of all, we didn't have major uh, conflicts uh, in our area, so we we found a way how to be competitive in the modern economies. So, in growing curve, we are in a growing curve. And what is a, a very, very important that last couple of years, Central Asia became visible to outside world as a single region. Not five competitors to each other, but we demonstrate ourselves to outside world as one region which have already harmonious relationship between each other. Yeah, we, we can see you know, with
4: this, um, this growing importance of Central Asia, of Central Asian nations here, uh, of course, you know, with the backdrop of um, let's what's going on—the Ukraine crisis, or so the relationship uh, is between Russia and the West, and now the U.S. Uh, you know, sort of containment policy against China—you can see a sort of competition in Central Asia. Do you feel there's competition, or uh- sometimes you do see uh, European countries or U- U.S. is trying to pull away from? Central Asian nations from Russia, for example? Because it you, you used to be the case there's a strong uh, Soviet or Russian influence there.
6: Yeah. So w- w- what we are talking to outside the world is that everybody who has good intentions to the region uh, is welcome. Uh, we are landlocked countries, all of us. So we always uh, have habit towards neighbors to be friends. So if you have access to the sea and you don't like your neighbor, you just go to the sea and trade with others. In our case, it's different. You have to be good to everybody. Mm -hmm. So we are genetically, on our DNA, is to be friendly towards everyone. If you want to make foreign direct investments, yeah, it's okay. If you want to make exchange, it's fine. If you want to compete with each other, it's fine, but not as a zero-sum game. So if you say, okay, we go and then don't allow others to come, it is wrong, everybody understand it. So in, in our case, we really look around and we say we want to have friendship with everyone. Of course, we have to be friendly first of all, with the neighbors. And among big powers, our neighbors are China and Russia. Why shouldn't we uh, have... Uh, Difficult relationship with them to create barriers or don't uh, don't build trust. First of all, neighbors is natural partners, natural, and we were together for centuries, and we will be.
1: That was Joe Mart Ottobayev, former Prime Minister of the Kyrgyz Republic. China's auto market has achieved better-than-expected growth in the first three quarters of this year, with car production and sales hitting record highs in September. According to data from China Association of Automobile Manufacturers, both car production and sales hit around 3 million units each last month, marking an increase of over 10% month-on-month. Production and sales of new energy vehicles also hit new records, reaching a market share of nearly one-third. Chinese automakers are also making significant strides in international markets, with exports exceeding 400,000 units for the second consecutive month. Export of new energy vehicles almost doubled the figure recorded a year ago. For more on China's new energy vehicle development, Liu Jiqing, Senior Fellow of the Chongyang Institute for Financial Studies at Renmin University of China, joining us on the line. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. First of all, regarding the stable growth in China's auto market, how have national and local policies contributed to the steady growth of the auto industry in China during the first three quarters of this year?
7: I think everybody knows the fact that the reason why the rapid uh, growth of automobile industry, and especially in the export business, has been strongly increased in the past time because of the uh, national and the local government policy, supportive policy, have been really in effectiveness. As we know, China has adopted a very important policy that we build up a unified market for all the products, but the unified market needs unified strategy. We need unified cooperation and unified effort. All these factors joined together make a great importance and a supportive forces that to further develop development of this automobile industry. So that's why we avoided the uh, the so called domestic conflict between manufacturers in China before years twenty years before we know the domestic competition between companies but nowadays i think that these things are already uh, overcome so in this way that we have very, very good precondition to further develop our automobile industry
1: focus on passenger vehicles could you elaborate on the factors that have led to the increase in market share for chinese-branded passenger vehicles reaching about 55 percent what made chinese-branded vehicles more attractive than others I think this
7: uh, achievement has been made through long time efforts. Not, uh, we didn't achieve such a result within one month or within uh, one day. effort. Because we have been really trying to uh, develop our automobile and the market share in European America, in the Southeast Asian countries for some years. Nowadays, I think that the uh, technology and the market is mature. They are becoming more seem uh, familiar that with Chinese brand and also Chinese uh,
2: innovation
7: and high technologies so in this way that uh, they, all the market uh, accepted China's model China's uh, philosophy of developing automobile especially for the new energy automobile so in this way that uh, the market share is getting increased this is a very logical I think everybody understands that uh, the behind this reason that China has a really very strong technology background and the forces to further develop of its brand uh, automobile. So no doubt that China will do it better in the time to come.
1: Mm -hmm. About new energy vehicle market trends and its international market expansion, China's auto exports have experienced rapid growth, especially in uh, new energy vehicles. What are the key drivers behind this trend? How have consumer preferences globally and company strategies played a role?
7: I think that this situation is always a uh, decided by two factors. The one factor is from the demand side, because nowadays we, we know all over the world are uh, in favor of the green development and also the green vehicles. So this is a, a main trend. And the second is from the supply side. Chinese companies uh, try to meet all this demand in the right way in due time with the due technological, uh, uh, smarter technologies to support. To meet the demand, so from both factors combined together and well coordinated, so that's why that China's uh, automobile always uh, try to catch up the uh, uh, trend of uh, consumption. Uh, so in this way, that always uh, have to uh, build up its uh, market share and also its market, uh, how to say, impact in the in the in the market development. So in this way, China's new technologies in the uh, Automobile, especially in, in new energy uh, products, that will attract more consumers to be fashionable, to be effectiveness, to be more practical. So they like the Chinese product as before always.
1: As you mentioned China's tech advancements in new energy vehicles, could you provide more information on this realm, especially high-end products like the recently launched all-electric supercars? What impact do these innovations have on consumer choices worldwide?
7: You know, before time, the weeks, and many uh, manufacturers in European countries tried to develop its own and new energy uh, vehicles, but uh, you know they always concentrated in the traditional model. Uh, actually, Chinese manufacturer always trying to uh, innovate or or to develop the new model with the new design, with new philosophy, with the, uh, in terms of electricity, because electricity covers all kinds of different materials and substances to further develop the electricity or to provide, to produce electricity. There are many ways. Now we have only the two or three traditional ones, but China now mm-hmm. is trying to find out a way and efforts to have so-called all-electricity vehicles. This is really trying to meet the demand of developing countries. They need a lot of the clean energy-driving vehicles in order to get uh, rid of the environmental pro- protection problem. So in this way, uh, we see that the great uh, potential and a great efforts will be uh, facing in Chinese manufacturing. But I think China's innovation will have more efficient uh, outcome in the world market.
1: Speaking of Chinese new energy vehicles development in foreign market, although Chinese new energy vehicles are beginning to face uh, challenges from the EU, China has started establishing automotive industry service platforms in Europe. Recently, China Automotive Technology and Research Center established a European center in Spain. How do you look at the significance of China's efforts to establish such an platform in Europe, how is expected to benefit Chinese auto collaborations with the region?
7: Actually, such action taken by the Chinese manufacturing are very important. Also, it's one of the best way to uh, cool the uncertainties in European market because some politicians and extremist politicians in the European market is trying to blame or stigmatizing China's uh, nuclear uh, new. New energy vehicles, they are trying to say something in a different way that in order to have their, to protect their own vehicles. But actually, China is trying to build up the service center. That means to tell the consumers that now we are here. If you have any problem technically, spare parts supply, or even from assistance of the uh, shortage of the uh, energy problems, so we are ready to help you at any time in 24 hours but to make all the consumers very very happy very satisfied so this is very important to show that the china's sincerity to cooperate with the countries there and also our philosophy how to make the things that easy easier and cooperative with all, all the partners so this is the best way to sell your product to make your product more satisfied and accepted by the global market
1: Thanks, Liu Zhuking, for your time and analysis. That's Liu Ching, Senior Fellow of Chungyang Institute for Financial Studies at Renmin University of China. U.S. House Republicans have nominated House Majority Leader Steve Skillis for speaker amid deep divisions. It paved the way for a floor vote in the chamber to elect a new speaker, but it remains unclear who will eventually take the job. It's been an ongoing saga that has paralyzed the U.S. Congress ever since a minority of Republicans took the extraordinary step of ousting their own speaker. This has come at a time of a looming budget crisis, a record flow of migrants at the southern border, and an upcoming presidential election in the country. To delve into this, joining us on the line is Dr. Joseph Mahoney, Professor of Politics and International Relations at East China Normal University. Thanks for joining us, Professor. First of all, what challenges does Scalise face in uniting the deeply divided House Republicans, especially considering the slim majority they hold? And how does he plan to address these divisions?
3: You know, I, I hesitate to describe Scalise as a moderate uh, because few Republicans uh, in the House are truly moderate these days. Uh, however, compared with uh, Jim Jordan, who also ran for the nomination, uh, Scalise is a moderate. And certainly when we compare him with the Trumpist and hardliners, one interesting point is that a more moderate uh, Republican congresswoman has said that she won't vote for him because he allegedly gave a speech at a white supremacist meeting uh, years ago. Now, generally, uh, Scalise has a lot in common with ousted Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Uh, On the one hand, uh, this means if elected, we probably won't see a big ideological difference from one leader to the next. On the other hand, uh, not being substantially different may prevent him from securing enough votes. Or if he does, he might run into the same troubles that McCarthy encountered. Now, my guess is that he'll find a solution, uh, that he'll find a way to get elected but uh, may have to make concessions with the hardliners. Uh, And whether he uh, eventually has to fall on his sword, uh, like McCarthy did, or drops uh, support for Ukraine or some other budget item, Uh, remains to be seen.
1: Professor, speaking of McCarthy, Kevin McCarthy expressed his willingness to retake the speakership if asked. How likely will that happen? How do you think his potential return might impact the ongoing divisions within the Republican Party and the House of Representatives as a whole?
3: Well, when McCarthy was ousted, he said he wouldn't seek re-election. One can understand his feelings were hurt and he was sulking. Uh, is he now ready to play again, and could he win? Uh, you know, never say never. Uh, this is the lesson we learned about this new era of American politics, uh, when Trump was first elected and impeached twice, uh, including once for incitement of insurrection, uh, and is now, uh, again, the front runner for the Republican nomination, despite uh, numerous felony indictments and still wielding uh, considerable influence in the House. Uh, And we learned this lesson once again following McCarthy's uh, unprecedented uh, and humiliating 14 failed separate elections before winning the speakership only to become the first speaker uh, to be ousted in U.S. history. So, you know, it's hard to predict what is or isn't possible. Uh, This is also true because uh, there are more than a few Republican representatives who are very angry that McCarthy was pushed out and who would like to see him return to power. So uh, if Scalise fails to secure enough votes uh, uh, and, and refuses to make a deal uh, with the devil the, the, the same way McCarthy did, uh, and if it's clear that uh, Jim Jordan, who also ran for the nomination, uh, has no realistic chance either, then perhaps this opens the door again for McCarthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, uh, does the devil uh, want to make a deal with him again? Uh, I think that's unlikely. Uh, Is it uh, really uh, McCarthy's objective uh, to regain the speakership? Uh, This is a good question. Uh, He certainly has the ego, but I think his chance for success is less than Scalise's. Uh, Consequently, it might be the threat of McCarthy being considered again uh, that uh, could motivate hardliners to support Scalise. So maybe this uh, has more to do with tactics uh, to support uh, Scalise's nomination uh, in so much as Scalise is an ally. Of McCarthy.
1: Professor, considering the public sentiment reviewed in the writer's poll, uh, where two-thirds of Americans believe politicians cannot overcome partisan differences, what potential long-term consequences might this political polarization have on the functioning of the U.S. government and its ability to address critical issues? Uh,
3: there's a double polarization at work. Uh, Democrats and pol- uh, Republicans are polarized against each other and both parties are polarized within. Uh, Republicans are unable to govern now, but we need to recall that when Biden was elected, uh, Democrats controlled the House, the Senate, and the presidency, and they were unable to govern effectively at that time. Now, these breakdowns mirror polarization across American society, which is fragmented over how to address mounting problems. Uh, Thus, the problems keep getting worse. Uh, Congressional fights over uh, entitlement programs and aid uh, for Ukraine, which seem to be driving this speakership contest, are in fact really about uh, the broader anxiety over what many Americans perceive as national decline.
1: Then how's the international community perceiving the current state of the U.S. political system, considering the internal conflicts and the divisions highlighted in this scenario?
3: I think it's fair to say that the international community has been awakened uh, to U.S. political dysfunction for many years now. Uh, including uh, Trump's disastrous presidency, uh, his illegal attempts to overturn the election, uh, the attack on the Capitol, uh, the catastrophic failure to contain the pandemic, uh, the failure to help mitigate climate change, uh, the the U.S. once again, and this continuing underbite, uh, dividing the world into a a Cold War paradigm, and so on. So I don't think anyone is surprised by these uh, developments. Uh, Even America's closest allies have been warning the U.S. for many years that it's gone off track uh, that said, these allies remain committed by necessity to the belief that liberal democracy can renew itself. They have to believe this because they depend on the U.S. economically and militarily, and because many of them, also liberal democracies, must believe this about themselves as well. In the meantime, uh, other countries see the U.S. as careening from one crisis to the next as it experiences a decline and are trying to figure out how to best insulate themselves from the related blowbacks.
1: Thanks, Professor. Appreciate your insightful analysis. That's Dr. Joseph Mahoney, Professor of Politics and International Relations at East China Normal University. That's all the time for this edition of Road Today. To listen to this episode again or to catch up on previous episodes, you can download our podcast by searching Road Today. I'm Ge Thank you so much for listening. Bye for now.